Hello and welcome to The Pathway. My name is Tim Deeks, and in this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of interesting characters from a wide range of backgrounds. No matter if the guest is a leader in business, sport, media, or politics, everyone has a pathway through life. And it is my ambition that through each guest's unique story, you'll be able to take something away to put into action on your own path. So let's start walking. My guest today is Janet Mitchellmore. Janet is the CEO and patron of the Jean Hales Foundation. She started in early education and has gone on to become a leader in the field of women's health. Janet earned an Order of Australia for her services to that very field that she's so passionate about, and I'm grateful to have her on the pathway. Welcome, Janet. Hi, Tim. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Oh, it's so lovely to hear your voice. Now, I want to start, what was your very first job? My very first job was teaching adolescents at a high school in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Were they easy to control? I was 21 at the time and so I was in my first year out of teaching having lived an incredibly protected life with very conservative parents who were fantastic, don't get me wrong, but being thrown out into the western suburbs of Melbourne was a big shock. So it had a variety of cultures lower socioeconomic groups who were families who were really struggling. So it was a very different environment and one that I learned so much and actually set me up for the future. Well, it's clear that you had a passion for education. Does that lead into you being a fantastic student? No, really good question. No, I wasn't a great student. But I remember that all I ever wanted to do was teach. I love people. I love kids. And I never wavered from wanting to be a teacher. And I always knew I wanted to teach teenagers, not very young kids. And I actually can't tell you why I always want to teach teenagers. And if I'm honest, I'm still passionate about teenagers. I love them to bits. When you were a young girl, what did you dream of becoming? Tim, if I'm really honest, a mum. I was very fortunate. I was brought up by two fantastic people. And we had a very cosy family life. When I say cosy, I mean a life that was incredibly supported by two devoted parents. And I had a grandmother who I absolutely adored and she was very similar. So that concept of a good family life was one I really wanted to replicate. And I wasn't highly ambitious at all. I was, I was ambitious to start a family uh, and make sure that I gave those kids, if we were lucky enough, which we were, to give them the best possible start in life, which probably when I look at it now and reflect on it with your questions, it's very much about my career was about teaching, but it was about nurturing kids and making it easy for kids to cope with whatever education challenges they had. You briefly touched on your parents. You know, while yeah. doing some research on you, I discovered what an amazing trailblazer your mum was. Well, what impact did she have on your life? Well, actually, mum and dad were both trailblazers, but in very different ways. Look, dad had two heart attacks in his mid-40s. So we, when I was quite young, I was very aware that things were tough in our household. But mum was a general practitioner and she had to go back to work because dad was so sick. Now dad recovered, which was great. But mum went back to work and she was lucky enough to work with 
absolute pioneers in women's health. And she became really interested in women at midlife and she actually started and set up the first clinic in Australia and the second in the world devoted to women at midlife and beyond. And that was in the late 60s. And, you know, Tim, when I look back on it, I think she was amazingly courageous. She had a vision that to keep women well was absolutely essential for good family life. And I think I know that now very much, that bringing up kids and coping with everything that goes with that, you have to be in really good physical and you have to have really good physical and mental health. And mum was very much about both of those. And what she realised was that women going through the menopause and the hormonal changes that happens at that time, they needed support. They needed good health care. They needed good education, good information. And what I would loosely call tips and tricks about how to have a healthier lifestyle. Did she ever talk to you about the opposition that she ever came up against, whether she did it all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When she first set up this clinic at Prince Henry's Hospital in the old St Kilda Road, she wrote to a 1,000 general practitioners to tell them what she was doing in Victoria, and she got not one response. Not one. A 1,000. She wrote a 1,000. No friends, it would be called. How this clinic got off the ground was that a journalist, contacted her and she wrote an article about what mum wanted to do, why it was important, why midlife healthcare was important, why women ageing well, that whole topic was important and that opened the floodgates. She she only had this clinic going for half a day a week because that was all the hospital could manage. She had queues down St Kilda Road and I can understand why. The model of the clinic that she set up was an absolute trailblazing model of female general practitioners sort of between 40 and 55, so the sort of right age for women at midlife. She had endocrinologists or hormone specialists, gynecologists and dieticians who joined her in this really tight-knit group of clinicians who looked after women. I want to bring it back to you just for a moment. For so many people I speak to, they're really struggling to find their passion. And for someone such as yourself, who's clearly driven by the work that they do, I wondered if you could elaborate on how you found your passion for women's health. When uh, I got involved in women's health for the first time was following mum's death in 1988. Now, the family can take no credit at all for setting up this organisation. But her colleagues, both men and women, who were absolutely passionate, driven by making it better for women and in terms of their health care, they came to the family and said, one of you kids needs to join the board because we're going to call it after your mum and one of you has to be there. Now, my brother, who's an endocrinologist and a medical researcher, would have been the ideal person. He was in Boston. My sister is a lawyer and merchant banker. She was Uh, in London, she would have been ideal too because she understands money. I was at home, the mother of two children under five. I was fantastic at Play-Doh and I was fantastic at doing puzzles, but I was a high school teacher in French history and English. I was not ideally placed to go on this board. But I did join them and it was interesting because what I learned was 
that I was the consumer on the board. These people were high-flying, internationally regarded clinicians, researchers, and I asked the question that the average woman in the street would ask. And because of the devotion that these people had to the cause, I got caught up in it. Now, sure, I'd been brought up by my mum, so we we heard about women's health the whole time at home. And yeah. Dad was a cardiologist. And, you know, we were very aware of the healthcare needs that, while we were growing up of men and women. But what I learnt from these people was to have a group of devoted people passionate about the same things, you get caught up in that energy, which is exactly what happened to me. And they turned to me and said, you understand education. We don't understand education. Can you go off and design education programs for women? And that was my original passion, education programs. And what I did was work with this group of people who were so skilled at what they did, so knowledgeable, that the combination of my practical education skills and their enormous knowledge was a match made in heaven. It would be completely remiss of me if we're talking about passions to not mention Women's Health Week. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Women's Health Week is the largest campaign in Australia of its type. And it's been going for nine years. It is five days of online material, which is beautifully produced by the team. But it's also an opportunity for women to connect right around the country. And this year we're going for 2,000 events from the northern Tiwi Islands to the southern tip of Tasmania. And to get more information about that, go to womenshealthweek.com.au or the Jean Hales website. But it's a very exciting week to be part of. Hey, it's Tim. Thank you for making it this far into the podcast. While you're listening, would you mind giving us a rating and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode? Your rating will enable others to find us and discover their own pathway. Now back to the podcast. Speaking to my mum, as I do quite a lot, one of the many things that she says you're good at is the ability to connect people and really draw attention to the cause. And I really wondered, how are you able to bring so much attention and and dollars to Jean Hales when there's so many worthy causes? How do you ensure that you sell your message? Not to beat out the competition, because that's not, I know that's not what you're about, but to really promote your cause above all else. Well, first of all, can I acknowledge your mum, Tim, who I, she is one of the best educators I know. Agreed. And she is outstanding at, so she's got a research background and an education background and a clinical skill being a psychologist. Mandy actually is in one person everything that Jean Hales wants to do well. So to work with your mum was the greatest privilege of my life. And we were lucky that we connected so well. And if I go to the last part of your question, how do you attract funding? One of the best experiences I had was sitting cross-legged on a bed in a hotel in Canberra (laughs) with Mandy, developing a funding proposal in record time. We had some really 
average takeaway food to do it with and a box of very average chocolates. <laughs> but we sat cross-legged on that bed until we'd nailed a funding proposal because we had a very quick turnaround requirement. But in terms of your first part of that question, the competition within the sector, you're absolutely right and you've done some fantastic research. It is highly competitive, which seems a contradiction in terms because you're all aiming for the same thing. In women's health, it's improving outcomes, health outcomes for women. The competition comes in because the dollars are so scarce. Mm. So what you've got to do is see how you are better placed to get the dollars, be it from government, be it from private donors, charitable trusts, etc. I have a very firm view, and I'm not saying I'm Mary Poppins at all here, that working collaboratively is much, much better and much more effective than working in separate silos. So I have made it my business to make sure that Gene Hales, where possible, works collaboratively, puts in joint funding proposals. But at the end of the day, you've got to survive as a business in this sector. Yes, it's called not-for-profit. Yes, it's a charitable sector. But the reality is you are running a business and there is no ability to get on with your vision or your mission unless you have financial stability. So it is working out where you sit in the marketplace, no different from any corporate organisation. What is your brand? What is the brand difference between you and other people? And then communicating that message. And it's a tough gig. It's a really tough gig. Is there a person or persons that's been a really great mentor to you along the journey? Uh, there have been lots. In terms of healthcare knowledge, there have been the founders of Gene Hales are all, one of them sadly has died, but all of them are still my mentors in terms of best practice, evidence, conversion of evidence into practice, evidence into knowledge. So that would be one group. My lecturer at uni in terms of special education, a man who headed up the Krongold Centre, Stuart Sykes, he is very, everything I practice now in terms of education programs, developing different, uh, developing and responding to different learning styles. He taught me all about that. My parents, while they've been dead, or mum's been dead for over 30 years and dad for 20, how I was brought up is very much my guiding light, I think, still. Uh, It's about values. It's about respect for people from all sorts of backgrounds. And now? When I get stuck now, I'm married to a guy who has been in the corporate sector for a long, long time. And his skills are very much about business management, business development, really financial systems. He's also more of a risk taker than I am and is prepared with good information to take much more of a risk than I am. Now, you need in business to have someone who's going to give you a really good nudge sometimes when you're being too careful. Um, it's almost like chemistry. It's like the way that you've been able to get all these people around you that just give you the best bits. 
Oh, Tim, I have some skills, but let me tell you, I have been able to do what I've done because of the people I work with, the people I, there's not a day that I don't turn up at Gene Hales that I'm not excited about working with the people. Even now, when it's incredibly tough, we're a very tightly knit group who is working, we're all working incredibly hard. But I, I pull in other people's skills the whole time because I, I know my limitations. I'm very aware of my limitations and I need the support just as I couldn't have written that funding proposal without sitting cross-legged on a bed with your mum and I couldn't manage a business in very, very tough times like now without a very, very clever and skilled board and fantastic colleagues. I don't think you can ever do it by yourself. I just want to finish up with some rapid fire questions. If you can finish these sentences for me. The first thing that you do when you get up in the morning is? Have a huge cup of tea. The best purchase that you've ever made under $100 is? A dog lead. (laughs) That's a good one. The thing that most excites you about the future? The next two generations coming along or the next generations coming along, I am constantly inspired by people who are younger than me and they they challenge me, they oh, keep me on my toes, they keep me energised. That's what excites me about the future. And last question, if you had a billboard, it could get a message out to millions of people, what would you have written on it? Ask questions. So simple, but so powerful. Thank you so much for your time. There is absolutely a multitude of pieces of gold in this. I'm so grateful that you've joined us on The Pathway. Tim, thank you very much. It has been fantastic talking to you. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and that's come in at the end of a podcast and mention something. Normally, I just let the podcast speak for itself. However, it is incredibly important. Uh, If you're a guy listening to this, no doubt you have an amazing um, woman in your life, whether it be a sister, a mother, a grandmother, or a partner, who you care about deeply, or if you're a female who's looking for something to do during lockdown and and get involved in and connect with other women, I wanted to mention again something that um, Janet um, talked about in the podcast, and it's Women's Health Week. It's from the 6th to the 10th of September, and all information you can get is at womenshealthweek.com.au. It is the largest week, the biggest week, I should say, in Australia dedicated to good health and well-being for women and girls I'm not getting paid for this. It's just because I believe in it so much. I know how much work goes into it and I think it's really important. So check it out. And if you have any questions, I'll include it on the uh, show notes below. All right. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends and join me next time on The Pathway.